Hello everyone out there, this is Z, your friendly editor, and I'm just coming to you now to let you know that uh, when we recorded this episode, we had a few technical difficulties with uh, Skype and internet connections and blue screens and all sorts of crazy stuff like that, and uh, in the confusion caused by those incidents, uh, both G and myself forgot to switch our microphones from their default onboard microphone setting to the much fancier smoother blue snowball setting. So what you are about to hear is mostly uh, recorded from laptop microphones. It's not terrible, but I just thought I'd give you a little bit of a warning since it might be jarring going from the buttery smoothness of our usual sound quality to uh, something that is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit rougher to some ears. So just putting that out there. Nonetheless, Thank you very much for listening, and please do enjoy the episode. Live from the NextCast Anthropological Institute. We can't be silent, because today we're talking about fans of There Must Be Giants. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Phanthropological. Today, we are going to be talking about fans of popular indie alternative band, the Two Johns. They might be giants. And here with me to do that thing are Nick T. I can feel it coming in the air. Oh, we're not. I thought this was prog rock. Hold on. Hold on. I can fix this. Johns. Okay. Uh, see all the accolades sitting up on my shelf. No, no. Wrong, John. No? <laughs> no? Yeah. Try a few more Johns. What did John Hodgman sing? Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach. She's a... That's actually John Little. Yes, we're talking about They Might Be Giants. I'm Nick T. <laughs> Hello, everyone. And Nick Z. Checks the mail. I'll see you in church and don't you ever change. Oh, man. Wait a minute. Right over my head. No. For a second, I thought that was like the weird Alzheimer's. No, no. There's a similar uh, pattern in it, 80s corporate lingo. You got to make a, a memo to yourself to do the dumb stuff you got to do. You got to make sure you touch the puppet head. Oh, there. Back on that old time is money kick, eh? <laughs> Not back on a joke. Well, this is just going to be us quoting the might be giant songs for, I don't know, an hour and a half. Okay, no, I'm stopping this. I'm putting an end <laughs> to this right now. Look, if we are, if we're going to do an hour and a half of They Might Be Giants quotes, we may as well be like singing it all, but we're not doing that either because I'm going to take us to the facts. We're going to drive that fact boat into the ocean of why? I don't know. That fact boat of car? <laughs> Stop it. No. Okay, fine. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> So, I was going to write up my own description of They Might Be Giants, but it turns out Wikipedia has a lovely description as it is. Uh, So, They Might Be Giants, often abbreviated as TMBG, is an American alternative rock band formed in 1982 by John Flansburg and John Linnell. During TMBG's early years, Flansburg and Linnell frequently performed as a duo, often accompanied by a drum machine. In the early 1990s, TMBG expanded to include a backing band. They are known for having an unconventional, experimental kind of music, 
uh, have released 19 studio albums, including Flood, which has been certified platinum, uh, has created theme music for several television shows, and has produced children's music. Think you haven't heard of them? Well, try one of the following. You may know Boss of Me, the theme song of Malcolm in the Middle, Dog on Fire, the opening theme of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, the theme song for The Oblongs and The Wrong Coast, which, now that I think about it, are probably more Canadian than I would have realized. I think so. Probably. Or you may know them for Birdhouse in Your Soul, Istanbul, not Constantinople, and Particle Man, which admittedly are not their most recent songs, but are probably among their most well-known. I feel like between those, we've got most people listening. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Someone's heard one of those. Yeah, I did see a long list of other bits and pieces where songs had been featured, but they didn't seem as well-known. And a, an anecdote that I read somewhere, and I don't remember where, is They Might Be Giants is the kind of band where you wouldn't recognize that you heard them unless you already were familiar with They Might Be Giants. Hmm. I got that. They change styles a lot. Yeah. As usual, I used Google Trends to try to determine anything about the interest in They Might Be Giants, because that is the best yardstick that we have. As it turns out, since They Might Be Giants has been around since the 1980s, and Google Trends has been collecting data since 2004, it's not surprising that the data shows a pretty low amount of interest over time. To be fair, unlike many of the fandoms we've covered, interest was already quite low in 2004. Uh, There was a huge spike in interest in July of 2004, which, as G and Z may know, corresponds to the release of The Spine. Uh, Yeah which is uh, one of the albums that was very popular in our youth, as I say as an old man. <laughs> yeah, was... we got a lot of listens out of the spine on trips about that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there have also been some smaller bursts of interest probably related to different album releases. Uh, interest right now on Google Trends is about a tenth of the interest from 2004, which does not put it at very high, uh, probably relative to the band's initial i don't know it's probably more popular before 2004 what are the actual numbers like 50 percent or something or like oh at the peak so the way that google trends data works is the peak Mm -hmm. is when there was the most traffic relative to itself so we're always talking about interest relative to what we have of the fandom yes so people were searching most for they might be giants over the like 13 years of traffic during that period Mm-hmm. okay so it's percentage of yeah okay yeah it's hard to put in a nice little box <laughs> yeah um in terms of the size of the fandom this is also always hard to estimate you know what we like picking hard <laughs> things to estimate because fandoms are really cool and it's nice to dig into them i couldn't find demographics sometimes a fandom will have demographics or the sentence or something like that yeah i, I did find a little bit in an unexpected place oh what um in an interview on youtube uh, with uh, Flanzy and this, I guess, YouTube interviewer, Flanzy Flansberg, that is, we're close personal friends, so like Flanzy, mm. uh, John Flansberg said that uh, you know this was in 2012, according to their Facebook page, the official one has 200,000 followers, and he was pointing out that as far as the age breakdown went, there wasn't really any particular age that spiked. It was just kind of like an even blob from the ages that were included. He mentioned specifically from 17-year-olds to 50-year-olds. It's just like an even proportioned 200,000 people. 
Hmm. Now at 332,000 people. Oh, wow. I did write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Good that you found any sort of demographics because it's always interesting to see how things break down, whether it's like younger or older, male or female, and even getting that little tidbit of something. Yeah. Um, One thing I did manage to get a bunch of different estimates for is the size of the fandom. Okay. Straight math can give us an answer. They've sold 19 studio albums and they've sold over 4 million records. If you math that out, that's like between 200,000 and 4 million depending on whether every fan buys every album or every fan buys one album. Yeah. That's like one estimate. Another one could come from the They Might Be Giants Instant Fan Club to give you a different level of dedication. And I have a quote here from This Might Be a Wiki, which is the Instant Fan Club returned for 2015 with an announcement in November of 2014. There were initially 2,500 subscriptions available, which were meant to be available until January 5th, 2015. All 2,500 spots were sold by December. Uh, And to give an idea of the dedication of the fans, Mm -hmm. the lowest offer, the folks on a budget, is $30, which means there are 2,500 people spending at least $30 for that membership. So that would be $7,500. But there's also membership tiers that are like $250, the Super President tier. (laughs) <laughs> and the $98 regular level of membership. Yeah. So that's some pretty dedicated fans out there. Um, mm. And then other measures, of course. We have Facebook with 330,000 likes, or more than that. She had a more exact number. Um, Twitter has 65,000 followers, and there are 2,200 subscribers on uh, the TMBG subreddit. In one way, it's like it's easier to track when it's like one band or one thing. That has a, like a Facebook page and right? a Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> like that's easier. That it's like very straightforward. But it's like something like cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, find all the cosplayers' Facebook pages and count all their likes. And... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right. T this week was doing. Uh, he's writing a program to scrape Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we could use the open graph. Unsurprisingly, when we look at the fans, they might be giants using Google Trends data. We take a look around the world. It's unsurprising to find out that by and large fans are from the United States. And by by and large, I mean like it listed 100%. Wow. And then the next highest was 50%. And that was Australia. And then Canada, the United Kingdom, Ireland, and New Zealand. Very, you know, English speaking countries. Very... Anglo-centric, I guess. Yeah, I'd say that one. We'll sneak peek to why, perhaps. But, like, so much of their songs are, like, dependent on, like, their wordplay and, like, cleverness. So I can see that easily not translating over over anywhere else. Yeah, that's fair. Um, That was all that I gathered for Fandom Facts. But because it was a little bit short, I did compile a special little section. Because this is is Z's... I'm spoiling things a little bit. This is Z's pick for for fandom for this season. Uh, and uh, it's called Did You Know That? Oh. Is it a yes or no answer to that question afterwards? No. <laughs> might be, might more, more rhetorical, perhaps. Okay. I mean, you can tell me after I get through some of them. I only have a few. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, did you know that They Might Be Giants is the unofficial band of the TV Tropes wiki? What? I did not know that. Hey. Yeah. Did you know that 
Melissa Joan Hart of Clarissa Explains It All and Sabrina the Teenage Witch got a job because of They Might Be Giants. Oh, do you have more information about that? I do. Oh, excellent. Uh, So this is a quote from This Might Be a Wiki on their page of Famous Fans. And it goes, I actually got the job for Clarissa Explains It All because of They Might Be Giants. The producer asked me about music, and I told them I liked TMBG instead of popular bands like New Kids on the Block. He loved it. I got the job, and then they worked TMBG into the show by putting the poster in the room. <laughs> There's also an episode in the first season, I think, that has They Might Be Giants like as a as background music. Oh, cool. Did you know that? The band started as two Johns. You may know that. But did you know that there was a period when there were only Johns and Dance? Yeah. I did know that. I figured that one. Yeah. Yeah. From 1998 to 2004, the band consisted of the two Johns, plus Dan Miller, Danny Weinkoff. Weinkoff? I'm bad with those those kinds of names. And Dan Hickey. Man. The Panda Dance. Now the drummer's Marty Beller. (laughs) Yes. I have no complaints. (laughs) Yes, Marty Beller. Not Whitney Houston. Nope, never. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> going, going a little bit deep. All right, and Z, I thought this was the most did you know that, that you would appreciate. Did you know that they might be big, big, fake, fake lies? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do unless they are? See, there's my contribution. I'm, I'm in on this now. Okay. <laughs> so, I believe it was today. Oh. They might be giants up a poll that just says they might be and the three options are fake lies and big big fake fake lies <laughs> at the time uh, that i saw it big big fake fake lies had 90 percent of the vote that makes sense yeah <laughs> so that is it for the the fandom facts for this week which means we get to revisit something fun from last week hey. to get to hear last episodes famous last words I'm going to pick on Z because Go I think his it. question was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Has to do with numbers. Numbers and fandoms go so well together. That's the funnest. Z asked this question despite how easily verifiable it was. Like he could have totally answered it three seconds <laughs> after asking the question. Whatever. That's me picking on Z. Uh, how many fan-made music videos are there on YouTube? Did you get a number, Z? <sighs> Nothing very specific. Uh, searching for they might be just they might be giants fan video without quotation marks around any of it yields about 50,000 results and it's about 78 results down before you wind up getting into uh, San Francisco Giants stuff mixed with they might be giants stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. The bane of all they might be giants Google searches. <laughs> Putting quotation marks around they might be giants. Cuts that number back to 22,800 results, but there's not as solid a streak of They Might Be Giants videos. So if I had to guess, like somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000? That's still a lot. Yeah. So where would you put something like this? The video, the official They Might Be Giants video for Can't Keep Johnny Down Mm -hmm. was picked from fan submissions. Yes. Actually chosen by John Hodden. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Interesting. This is not part of the research. I just know this. <laughs> I think they might have run a few contests like that because I saw some videos that were like labeled rejected entry for so-and-so or 
potential entry for so and so. I think I saw a couple for can't keep Johnny down. Like I think I saw yeah. finalists or something like that. Yeah, the one that won is like a very good picture. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been a promotional thing for join us. Yeah, yeah, join us and make a video. Yes. My famous last words were, what percentage of They Might Be Giants fans became fans via Tiny Toons? Which, while interesting, is really hard to verify. Yeah, you kind of went the other direction. (laughs) I like that, because it's usually interesting to see what you happen to come up with. And I did find something, while definitely inconclusive, uh, I found many anecdotes of people being like, oh, I I saw Tiny Toons, and I saw Istanbul, and and all that. (laughs) But more importantly, on um, the videos subreddit, which is not the They Might Be Giants subreddit, mm-hmm. there was a thread called As a Child, Tiny Toons Introduced and Made Me a Fan of They Might Be Giants. And it links to some YouTube channel that has that video. And that thread had over 280 comments. Wow. Wow. So if we assume that every person who posted there is a fan of They Might Be Giants, then there's at least 280 people, <laughs> which is infinitesimally small as a percentage. I dare say there's probably more than that. There's probably more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was something that I came across a lot. Somebody had asked, you know, how they might be giants got their songs into Tiny Tunes on Quora. Apparently, the record company they did flood with, Electra Records, was owned by Warner Brothers at the time. So uh... somebody. On the Tiny Toons team was like a fan, I guess, and they own the music, so why not? Hmm. Um, in one of the interviews that I saw, I don't remember if it was Linnell or Flansburg, but one of them mentioned it. Like um, they were asked about it, and they they explicitly said, you know, that offer was kind of a turning point for them. Where I don't know if it was like the first or maybe one of the first biggest sort of like sellout moves they did as they. <laughs> moved away from the uh, the hip underground New York City rock culture of the, of the late 80s, early 90s. It's definitely the first place I heard their music, but I wasn't like, now i got to find out where this came from. <laughs> I just listened to them later and was like, oh, that's this band. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably the common experience. Yeah. Or at least like fairly common because uh, I'd, I'd reached out to, this might be a wiki, the, they might be giants knowledge database and one of the people who got back to me john elias sorry if i'm mispronouncing your last name but john said that when he first got into the band it was through uh his friend's dad who happened to get his friend into the band as well but like when he was listening to the music and he heard istanbul or constantinople or both of those songs i don't remember which it was triggering this like nostalgic kind of feeling because he remembered having heard those songs like you had g on tiny tunes so it seems to have been a fairly common thing. I think Tiny Toons was super popular. I'm sure that like people who remember it fondly are probably people who would appreciate They Might Be Giants stuff, since Tiny Toons was kind of a, a wacky show, much like the band. Gee, your famous last words were, after They Might Be Giants' success with their dial-a-song service, has any band or musical act followed? Strictly speaking, the answer to that is no. Could not find any band or artist who was like a man I loved they might be giants with the Dow song so I decided to do the same thing however I did find some people who are doing a very similar thing uh, in this day and age at a very specific time of year 
So in an, in an article by the Washington Post entitled, Call This Number and a Live Person Will Sing You Any Christmas Song 24-7. Really? <laughs> what? <laughs> it talks about uh, what is now known as dial carol which uh, runs for a week in December and is um, college students in Illinois who are manning phones and will sing you any Christmas song that you request. So if in the middle of the night you have a hankering for a live, likely out of tune rendition of Jingle Bells, someone out there is ready to sing it for you. (laughs) (laughs) This started in uh, 2013. Mm -hmm. They opened the phone lines at midnight Thursday, and within the first 14 hours, they already had hit 1,000 calls in all 50 states. Wow. They also received calls from Australia, Canada, China, South Korea, Sweden, and Taiwan. A few years ago, they created a Mariah meter to measure how many times college requested Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, the pop holiday anthem of the past two decades. Last year, it was requested 339 times. And they are expanding. They're putting in What's This from Night Before Christmas, Fairy Tale from New York by the Pogues. Mm. And as of right now, I believe they're still going. Facebook.com slash Dialacarol. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That was more successful than I thought. Me too. We got like three-ish things. Three, three-ish three famous last words that kind of worked out. Yeah. That's all we could ever ask for. I mean, unless we ask really boring questions. <laughs> I'm up here, Giants. I'm a platinum album. <laughs> How many Dan's were in the MIP Giants? <laughs> Not interesting answers. Yeah. But you know what might have interesting answers? Oh, what's that? Why are fans of They Might Be Giants? Why? I have a funny, definitely wrong answer, but it might guide us somewhere. Let's do it. So I was trying to do the research this week and try to find why people are fans of They Might Be Giants. And as it turns out, when you type in fan and popular band name, even modestly popular band name, You don't always get the kinds of things that you want to find. You don't get anthropological, phanthropological results. You don't get any of that. You just get stuff. And fortunately, They Might Be Giants is not popular enough that you're inundated with a bunch of boring articles that that don't help us with the research. I did, however, find this piece from The Hard Times, which, as you know, is not a real news source. (laughs) Yes, it's right. It is uh, satirical. And there was this fun little quote from an article called They Might Be Giants Fandom Cautiously Broached with New Cooler Friend Group. <laughs> and it's a, it's a fun article. It's in the show notes. So uh, when this episode is released and you are listening to it, you should take a look at the, the link. I'm sure you can find it if you Google it. But the quote goes like this. I thought maybe I'd found my in when we started talking about David Byrne, Brill said. Talking heads are kind of in the same universe as TMBG, right? Quirky and arty? Man, I'm lucky they misheard. <laughs> uh, later goes on to talk about how, you know, his friends misheard him and thought he was talking about sports, like some sort of sports team named the Giants, blaming it on his brother, who's a big fan of the Jocks. And even later talks about how um, John and John haven't come out as they might be Giants fans to their friends and family. And they are they <laughs> might be Giants. That might be. So, pretty fun satirical piece. I don't know that it's that bad. I don't know if they might be Giants fandom is that bad. I think there's something in there. Yeah. Because it's like, they might be Giants. 
by no stretch of the imagination ever been a, a cool band. But like they have never tried to be cool. No. No. Like they're just doing their own weird arty thing. Like they use their music a lot of times to express their sense of humor. Like very deliberately. Yeah. And it's easy to hear Particle Man and think they're some kind of gimmick gimmick or novelty band. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, what is this? It sounds like a pseudo children's song. Yeah. But like with weird subjects, even though they would go on to do children's music later. But they're not like like the talking heads or television or like they were around in New York at the same time as those guys. But they were trying to find another word to use apart from quirky. Oh, let's see. I wrote out a few. Weird, unique, experimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's this fun quote by them from that article. Uh, 30 years ago, I remember being a little scared. He continues, like, how do we take this to the next level? What the hell does that even mean? The question answered itself. We just carried on doing what we were doing. The effect of that was anybody who wanted to could feel included. It wasn't like, oh, you're not part of the in crowd. There was no in crowd. (laughs) We were not. We've never been cool. I was cool, says Flansburg, pretending to pout. Flans was cool. (laughs) I think they're both cool. That makes the fact that they're not cool makes them cool, right? No. They don't even care that they're cool. Therefore, they're cool. (laughs) So self-acceptance is cool. That's what I'm getting out of this. Like, people are fans of They Might Be Giants because They Might Be Giants preach self-acceptance. That's no, that doesn't sound. I mean, right. that's right. In a, in a in a way, kind of because like one of the, one of the things that I came across a lot was that um, you know in the early days they might be giants. They're just the Johns were just making music. They didn't have any standard to measure you know how their stuff sounded by except their own. So they just used that, and I th- like people picked up on that. It's like some bands will try to sound authentic or genuine. But They Might Be Giants does it without trying because they just don't care. Yeah, looking at you, fingertips. (laughs) Yeah, there's no sense of them being like, yeah, this will make us popular. No. Or this will get us in with the right people. (laughs) Or, you know, like it doesn't feel like they ever curbed their their weirdness or quirkiness. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Flans who said in at least one of the interviews that I read or saw, their goal is to be able to have casual fans and to not quite be so locked into this this like hardcore fan base where you know the parents get into their music as kids grow up have their own kids show it to them because it's music that's not like explicit or you know glorifying sex drugs and rock and roll or anything like that and then the kids get into it it just sort of perpetuates like they want to have casual fans and fans even said something like the fact that they're something of a cult act, he sees it as like an artistic failure on some level. Oh man, the, the appeal is is narrower than something that everybody likes. Interesting, interesting. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, they are a cult band. Yeah, they don't appeal to everyone. There are probably a lot of people who watch Mock in the Middle that think they are a ska band. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I don't know if it was in Gigantic, A Tale of Two Jones, or uh, somewhere else in my notes. See see the show notes. But uh, I think it was one of the Dans, of the band of Dans, that said that uh, that theme song sort of brought in the jocks. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, whereas before, the fandom was predominantly, you know, the nerds. I think that, like, nerd love is, like, a big 
component of they might be giants's success like yeah now they have children's albums but that hasn't really changed the kind of music that they make not at least like lyrically it is not targeted at adults but like musically i think even their children's albums are like the same kind of feel but it's it's this like nerd love i was looking at the list of famous fans and i came up with like a whole bunch of nerdy ones that i knew and there are probably many other ones like jonathan colton cited them as an influence the bare naked ladies uh in particular stephen page talking about the kids music that they made stephen colbert uh david cross weird al <laughs> john stewart will wheaton i will wheaton. yeah will wheaton, will wheaton. <laughs> yeah yeah so you've got all these people inspired by the kind of like nerdy pop culture avant-garde-ish artsy kind of music and as you already mentioned, they, they make this music that it doesn't, like, they don't care what you think about it. Yeah. They just make it for them. <laughs> I think there's a lot of identification in, like, like, everyone identifies with, like, the outsider, right? I mean, not everybody, but we do, I think. I should have said, a lot of people identify with the outsider. Like, that's a pretty common thing in music, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm looking across the room sort of thing. But these guys are like the outsiders from the outsiders. <laughs> And I don't mean they're the outsiders from the book, The Outsiders. I mean, to even those cool outsiders, they're like the not cool outsiders. There's like a couple of like pretty smart geeks mm-hmm. who are doing their goofy music like over on the side here. And, you know, they got all their, their clever wordplay. It's like, it's like very college rock. You got all their wordplay, little, little references sometimes. And I think a lot of their early videos too were kind of like a little bit sending up like avant garde stuff. Cause it was like the head some choreographed moves and weird little sequences, <laughs> but they're like very much tongue in cheek. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know exactly what video I'm talking about. <laughs> As it turns out, Anna Ang was recorded in at like a place where they test firefighters. Oh, like oh really? Buildings. Yeah. Oh. And it was done without any special editing. It was just like cuts and stuff. No special effects. They provided all the special effects themselves. Yeah, with their, yeah, yep. Yeah, apparently that's that's another thing, you know, um, in the early days when they were just uh, abandoned in, in New York, they were really notable because of the shows that they would put on with their music, with stuff like Lie Still Little Bottle and the percussion being just a big stick <laughs> that I think Flansburg would bang on the stage. Yeah, they, they talked about this in Gigantic, and it was like people were yeah. struck. Stu- I don't mean he hit people with a stick. I mean, people <laughs> were taken with the yeah. with him just using this stick as percussion because it's so weird. <laughs> it's like a, you know, it's like a big, like it's taller than a walking stick. It's like something oh, yeah. Yeah. like Gandalf would have, right? Like, yeah, yeah, really tall. It almost touched the roof. Yeah, and he would just bang it on the stage in time. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. And I think so. Like that, really, like put a bow on, like. These guys, like, what is, what do they do? <laughs> talking Heads never had, a, never had a stick. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, Talking Heads didn't have dial-a-song. <laughs> no. Like, you want to talk about weird and quirky things. You want to talk about outcasts. Like, can you name a band that decided, hey, what if we just made some music? Maybe it's not polished. Maybe it's not good. We're just trying a bunch of stuff, and it's just at a phone number that you can call. Yeah. Well, there were there were some practical considerations behind Dial-A-Song. Like, 
apparently the apartment where they kept all their uh, all their gear was broken into and robbed. So they lost all their gear. And uh, Linnell at the time was a bike messenger. And he got into some sort of accident and injured his wrist so he couldn't play. So, like, there was a period of time where they couldn't, like, really make a lot of complicated new stuff. But they still wanted to, you know, be present. So they had dial-a-song. They just had an old answering machine and, I guess, fed it some tapes and away they went. Forget waiting three years for favorite artists to put out that album. Mm-hmm. You dial up a new song right now. <laughs> Another thing, too, is Flans said that if there were any long, sustained notes, it would cause the tape to rewind. Yeah. So, oh, because it would sound like a beep. Yeah, so that is why so many of the early songs are very staccato. Like, yeah, so that kind of influenced a lot of their early songwriting. Mm-hmm. Even beyond the music of Dial a Song and, you know, what they threw up there, like the whole, you could say, you know, you know, it made it very intimate because they were basically sharing demo tapes with their audience instead of, you know, record executives or whatever. But there's also the mystery because at first, apparently, they didn't have anything on there except for the music. So it's not like you'd hear a song and then Flansberger and Linnell would say, where they might be giants and you can see us at such and such a venue at such and such a day. It was just this music at this phone number. That is because Flansberg posted the ad for Dial Song as a personal ad yeah. instead of a commercial ad. <laughs> because it was much cheaper to do so. So he was afraid of them promoting the band. <laughs> he was a af- Wait, what? Because he posted it as a personal ad in the paper, Village Voice, or whatever it was, instead of as, as a commercial ad, he was then afraid on Dial-A-Song to plug their band in case someone heard it and was like, hey, this is a commercial thing. <laughs> I see. I got it. Sorry, I, I thought there was like a sense of like, we can't promote our work. Oh, no, they, they wanted to. I he was just scared it. of being found out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, the thing I was mentioned too is that when you dial it, they can only take one person at a time. Yeah. So you're the only person listening to it at that time. Which also means that if you call in and somebody else is already there, you get a busy signal. So it's like, ah, you got to call back. Which means you would get a different song. Yeah. So that was then mm-hmm. when people made phone calls. I mean, technically dial a song is still a, a thing. They've just revamped it. Yeah. yeah. There's still a number you can dial. I'm not sure if it's currently active and... I know they've got plans to like bring it back somehow on the internet. Music coming out of your phone is less of a novelty these days. <laughs> but it feels like a very personal connection when you would call and then just get this little weird song quote just for you. Mm-hmm. And because of that, so that was great, is Therapy Giants ended up with recordings of a bunch of different people listening to their songs. Oh, yeah. Because it was on an answering machine. <laughs> and some of those made it onto albums. Have you heard of this? There must be giants. <laughs> there may be giants. <laughs> oh man! Anyway, that song gives such a sense of like this little band that could. Mm-hmm. And again, you probably can't recapture that now with people who are listening to it. You, that song is available. Yeah. But at the time, no one else is doing this, and these are not necessarily polished studio tracks. This is them in their apartment with a guitar or whatever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be like going into YouTube and just finding a cool thing, except, you know, that's the norm now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's out there for everybody. You were talking about how there's kind of like this intimate sense when you're listening to like Dial a Song, mm-hmm. but moving away from Dial a Song and it just, you know, the majority of their other music, 
I think maybe intimacy is the wrong word, but there's a sense of, you know, you listen to their songs, there's not, like, maybe there's some kind of pseudo-intellectualism going on there. Maybe there's some clever wordplay. But, like, they're not sugarcoating things. Like, there's a... There's, I should have written this down. There's a song that they wrote about, like, death or something. Yeah, more information. I feel like they have a few songs about death. <laughs> if I said other things, then I could come back to find the song. But there's, like, a little little bits of, like, truth or, like, art in them that you could just kind of, like take and there's no pretense to it it's just like it just is yeah it's hard for me to describe there's a lot of dark stuff in there but it's always at a strange angle <laughs> right like birdhouse in your soul is about a nightlight yeah but it doesn't say i'm a nightlight <laughs> i mean blue canary and alibi light switch pretty much mm, i mean you can piece it together but it's not explicit yeah but like my favorite example would be they'll need a crane which is about a dissolving relationship. Yeah. But it's not called, I'm so sad, or I wish you'd come <laughs> back to me, or, you know, it's over, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's called, they'll need a crane. It, the, the chorus is constructed from a metaphor. Mm-hmm. They'll need a crane to take the house he built for her apart. So it's like a common experience yeah, from a very strange angle, which is what a lot of those guys are about. And a lot of people will hear lyrics and be like, oh, it's a weird, goofy song. Forget it. But, like, fans will, like, you know, take a look and see, like, ah, that's what's going on. I remember spending a lot of time on songmeanings.net <laughs> looking up the meanings <laughs> to there might be giant songs. Oh, man. Is Particle Man about the Catholic Church? Ooh. Who's to say? Is Triangle Man? Probably not. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is he in water? Or does water get him? Yeah. yeah, there's that section in Gigantic of the, like, high school debate team going back and forth about the meaning of Particle Man, and it just sounds like they're taking it so seriously. Uh-huh. Talking about it being about physics or the universe or, like, humanity and all these things, and it's like, man, it's, it's this fun song. Don't Let's Start is, is about not let's starting. Yeah, I remember reading about the statue got me high. <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's like, it's like Don Juan, where he falls in love with this beautiful statue, and then you have Linnell's, it's a about a guy who looks at a statue and his head blows up. <laughs> <laughs> but this is part of the fun of, you know, they might be Giants fandom. Yeah. You could pick apart all these different meanings because they don't just plop it on the table. <laughs> yeah. The magic there, though, is that some songs definitely do have that deeper meaning. Like, they'll need a crane. Yeah, on the surface, it's some goofy song, but it's fairly clear that it is about a dissolving relationship. Mm. And so, you know, you've got songs like that where there is that hidden meaning that's pretty clear if you just peel away a layer or two. So it's very easy to think, you know, all these other songs, Particle Man, Everybody Wants a Rock, and like so on and so forth, all these crazy nonsensical songs, they all have to have meaning too. They don't. They might be dinosaurs intelligent beyond belief. Yeah. Like Purple Toupee just talks about events in American history. Yeah. Summing up the Vietnam War as Chinese people fighting in the park we tried to help him fight. No one appreciated that. <laughs> A very American summary. <laughs> yeah. Is Hotcha Jesus? Mm. <laughs> do forks for everybody. But like, at no point were they just like, that's enough of all this. Mm-hmm. Let's just write a song about real things. Yeah. 
I mean, because they are about real things. Just like they're quite determined to take a strange view on it. Yeah. It's referenced in the documentary, but the song um, about the germ, like it's trapped in the space shuttle, goes up to space and comes back. And all the scientists are like, oh, man, we're not alone in the universe. This germ came from space. And they find out the germ came from Earth. And like just the way it's layered, the way it's put together. It's a song about how, you know, if we're alone in the universe, it's sad, but it's also very beautiful. You know? Yeah. Weird eyes frustrated and sad and that's beautiful. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this could this could go on for another eight to ten hours. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. We should probably. That's another part of the appeal. What happens at hour eleven? We listened to the uh, anniversary of Flood concert from Australia. They did where they played the album in its entirety backwards. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Played like the track list backwards. Yeah, not literally. The songs in reverse. Okay, because if you were going to talk about like a cult fandom, then um, there, you, there you go. That's how you make a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Darn tootin' it is. It's funny though, because they have these really weird, interesting lyrics, but it's also like catchy most of the time. Or it's like a kid's song, but it could be really morbid. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's okay. There's this fun little quote from that Rolling Stone article. We're still here. We're weird. Get used to it. And this is from uh, Linnell. It's like, I think there's a growth industry for f***ing <laughs> says Feinberg. As Linnell cheerleads, I hope so. <laughs> Which is weird because I don't usually see the words growth industry and f***ed in the same sentence. Yeah. <laughs> On TNBW, there's a, an article called Reasons Why We Love They Might Be Giants. And one of them is the more concerts you go to, the higher the chance you'll hear one of the Johns say, I saw that article and I was just going to start off the uh, the episode being, it's like, you know what? You don't need to hear ROI because you can just go here and I'll give you like a million reasons. Much. Man, oh man. I mean, you used to be able to hear it at the uh, AB Club's Undercover, where uh, just before they did their cover of Bills, Bills, Bills. Oh, neat. But I'll just said, was also the episode where Z has to do a bunch of beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another another aspect. As you said, a lot of songs were catchy. They're really good musicians and songwriters. Yeah. You guys can see the goofy little thing over there, right? Like the logo. So every episode, I try to put something symbolic of the fandom up there. Uh, it was really hard to do They Might Be Giants because I'm not an artist, so all of our art comes from... You know, the noun project mostly, and it's all creative commons. But I was like, I don't know, a saxophone and a violin. Sax and violins. Yeah. 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 They're very good musicians and songwriters. Mm-hmm. Like Birdhouse in Your Soul, for example. Great melody. Great, great melody. And if you're listening, I was I was listening because when I started listening to the Webby Giants like my teens, I wasn't I wasn't, you know, close listening, I wasn't picking stuff apart. I wasn't listening with the, the musical novels that I have now. And they never, pretty much never, will just straight repeat a section of the song again without changing something. Mm-hmm. It's, there's always like a, something a little bit different, like they've changed the harmony or they've changed the backing behind it or they've added more vocals or they've stretched a word to a more syllable or something. They have that feeling of, of being very um, deliberate and trying not to create anything uninteresting or boring. Which may also lend up to the fact that they have so many short songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, twenty-minute epics for them. I think, I think even five-minute songs are hard to come by. 
Yeah. 2007's The Else was the first time they had an album where all the songs were over two minutes. Ooh, two minutes isn't long. No, it is not. I think almost all the venue songs were shorter than two minutes. Yeah. Venue songs being a project where they did a tour, and each day of that tour, they wrote a song that night about the venue that they were playing. <laughs> Which is another cool... Like, no one forced them to do that, though according to the weird storyline, <laughs> someone did force them to do that. <laughs> this deranged millionaire John Hodgman. <laughs> but I mean, they seem like restless artists. Like, they're not content to sit still or, like, do something that was similar to the last thing they did. Yeah. They are hipsters to a T. Well, hipster implies an inauthenticity, I think. Okay, but like the term, if I were to say they are authentic hipsters, that also just, that seems even more inauthentic somehow. Like if you slapped a label on it and it was like, authentic hipster. I mean, do you have another word other than hipster? No, because that's the, like, all I can think of is like, all I can think of are words that seem more hokey, like auteur. Yeah. Or artist. Artiste. Artiste. Yeah. I don't know. They seem to, um, regardless of, of what you call it, they don't seem to ever be interested in settling musically or otherwise into what they're doing. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. Yeah. One of the reasons that I did see uh, when I got a little, little more explicit with my, my research and looked for, you know, why do people like They Might Be Giants and things like Reddit and Quora and such was that they have a broad range of songs, you know, not just in terms of the lyrical content, but also in terms of the style yeah, they've, they've always kind of played with, with lots of different styles. Mm-hmm. The sun is a miasma of incandescent <laughs> plasma. They changed it to like a, like, a, like a jazzy sort of thing? Yeah. Oh, man. It's a very stark difference to the other one that feels a lot more like a children's song. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. the sun is a mess. Of, like, I can imagine just everything bobbing up and down. You can picture a, a room of children singing. <laughs> It's weird because they have have things like like you'll miss me, which is like I don't know, making fun of jazz, kind of. <laughs> like it sounds really sarcastic. Like he's got this exaggerated jazz guy, like kind of voice. <laughs> and that was on Lincoln. That was on their second album in '88. And then, and like in Nanobots, you have something like the Darlings of Lumberland, which is like really intricate, complicated stuff, but also jazzy. You've got like Au Contraire, yeah. Yeah. Or you've got Particle Man where they just sound kind of disinterested. Particle Man. <laughs> yeah, and they don't they don't even like sing everything the same way. No. Like let's do like a weird, goofy voice. Cloisonne is a good example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell them the story, Raindrop. I don't wanna tell them, Mr. Dump. Like just doing <laughs> stupid stuff like that. <laughs> In, like, a real song that people paid for. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't account for the weird voices and stuff, but uh, apparently Linnell is or was in a jazz band on the side, so... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Actually, like, the playing with expectations thing, there are a couple times where it's, like, out and out, not condemned for the audience, but, like, we're having a joke at your expense, and I would consider the apex of that to be the song Older. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> What's the lyric? It's like, you're older and you're... You're older than you've ever been and now you're even older and now you're even old. Like, that's the song. (laughs) 
They're not wrong. <laughs> being jerks about it. I mean, sure. Like, yeah. sure. But not in any sort of, like, explicitly mean way. It's not a middle finger to the audience kind of thing. But No, no, no. Like, to take a page from a uh, long, long ago, a something awful post I think you showed me about They Might Be Giants, and, you know, it had, like, the promo picture of, like, both the Johns choking themselves, and it said, you know, something like giving the bullies a break or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They might be giants makes fun of of their fans when whenever they do, which is fairly rare, in a way that like is clever, like how clever nerds would make fun of each other, rather than how like schoolyard folks would. Yeah, it doesn't feel doesn't feel like bullying. No, it's more like a joke that the audience can get in on with stuff like older. I think. And then the next time around with older, you're like, yeah, 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 you know, like or um, sp- the song Spy. <laughs> Where it's a call and response, but the space between the call and response gets longer and longer and longer and longer. You're sitting there being like, what am I going to do? I play something. <laughs> I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I trust you, John and John, mm-hmm. to take me on this, if not journey, then this you know, this idea or this, uh, this outing. See what you got. See how you subvert my expectations. And they pretty much always do. Mm-hmm. Is it time for us to take the time machine forward to the future? Uh, it might be. It might be. Mm-hmm. Some before later on. Yeah. We're trapped in a world before later on. Oh, dang. <sighs> Where's my space face? <laughs> All right, I'm taking us there because you're monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time that we got to the verdict. Because as G was mentioned before, if we don't stop now, I think it's going to be another eight to ten hours. Which maybe maybe is the thing that you want? I don't know. It's not a thing that I have time to do today. Yeah, no. Nah. So. Alright, I'm going to start us off with the verdict. I'm going to just start. I'm going to keep it short. I'm not even going to say that much of my own words. I'm going to say that I'm in. I like They Might Be Giants. They're fun. And I'm going to read this quote that I found from something awful uh, in a series called Your Band Sucks. <laughs> and they did one for They Might Be Giants. And I thought it was fun. Maybe it'll encapsulate things or maybe not. I don't care because it's the quote that I'm going to use. If anthropologists of the future ever sit down to categorize the sundry varieties of nerd and require as precise a definition for spaz as possible, they need only listen to the drum machine slash guitar intro to Don't Let Start. If you close your eyes and listen closely, a crystal clear mental image of a skinny kid getting his head dipped in a flushing toilet materializes in your mind's eye and repeats for the duration of the song. Maybe this is the difference between how a They Might Be Giants fan relates to the song and how a non-fan does. Fans swell with pride and imagine their own heads being dunked. (laughs) And the non-fans become enraged and picture themselves administering the swirlies. Man, oh man. Your band sucks is a good it's a good series. <laughs> it was right. a fun read, if a little bit mean. I mean it's on something awful. Alright, I will uh I will break the silence and, and end the ambiguity. <laughs> uh shockingly I'm gonna say that I'm in doing the research for this episode. Remind me how much I love this band. <laughs> you know, I'll kinda of stumble on them when we're in our teens, mm-hmm. fourteen, fifteen, something like that. And a lot of them I have I have good memories associated with. But then I hear new stuff and I'm like, this is still great. 
and doesn't sound like their old stuff and their old stuff still holds up and i'm like appreciating more the musicianship involved and the wordplay as i grow older and more experienced in both <laughs> and uh probably fill the back 15 minutes with enough just more quotes and they might be giant songs so <laughs> uh i'm a hundred percent in yeah man well as you may already know dear listeners it was my pick to do this this fandom they might be giants fans and uh yeah i've got to say that i still include myself among them i am definitely in they're a great band i've always enjoyed them and they're like the alternative to the alternative you know the alternative to the mainstream being like the classic sex drugs and rock and roll i would argue they might be giants this alternative still using melody morbidity and humor hey melody morbidity and mirth sure <laughs> melody morbidity and mirth because they might be giants are mm, good uh whoa uh, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I might have something to get us out of this rut, but we might need to drive if you can see where I'm going with this. No? I mean, you wouldn't because you don't know what the spotlight is. No. And I do. It's, I mean, if we're in a road movie, that's okay. If it's to Berlin, that's fine too. Maybe not okay. Well. <laughs> Can't drive out the way we drove in. I'm so lost, so I'm just going to shine the spotlight somewhere that I can <laughs> see things. The spotlight is the part of the show where we try to shine a light on either a good cause or a cool fan project or just something interesting, usually related to the topic at hand. So this week's topic was They Might Be Giants, and I found something. I found a charity cause that is related to They Might Be Giants, and it gets better from there. I was mentioning that we can drive our way out of it, and that is because this week's spotlight is the cover of the Mink Car album, which you can find at minkcarcover.bandcamp.com. At midnight on September 11th, 2001, They Might Be Giants released their album, Mink Car. Unfortunately, some terrible things happened later that day. (laughs) Ten years later, a variety of internet famous folks released a full cover album with the proceeds going to the fndy foundation which is the um like new york fire department funds raised from the mink car cover go to that department uh the official not-for-profit foundation of the fire department of new york established to provide resources for the professional development education and training of members of the fndy some of the artists on the album include hank green the double clicks rental floss and mc frontalot and cover art was done by ryan north you may know of dinosaur comics fame and and like a million other things at this point like many other (laughs) comics but like dinosaur comics so if you have not heard that if you liked mink car i tried listening to it and it turns out i'd never heard mink car before so it wasn't a huge fan (laughs) very mellow but you can check that out minkcarcover.bandcamp.com or just search for mink car cover i'm sure you'll find it uh, before we move on, did anyone else listen to I Might Be Giants 2? Sorry, what? In the correspondence with uh, with John Ulius of TMBW, this might be a wiki, he mentioned a, uh, a song done by a fan, a mysterious unknown fan in the late 80s, and sent into the Johns as a demo tape. It's called I Might Be Giants 2. And it's it's weird because it's 
it mentions they might be giants by name. It maybe refers to some of their song lyrics here and there, but for the most part, it's like kind of a ballady song about like nature and colors and things. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like, I don't know, air supply. Yes, that's a regular analogy. It sounds like nothing remotely like They Might Be Giants music ever. No. It's super strange. Which is probably why when they played it during a live show, I think they only played it once, but when they played it during a live show because they had to like fix the drum machine or something, uh, the audience just kind of like collectively stood there and tapped their foot. Yeah. If you were there for They Might Be Giants and you heard that, you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> it's super weird, but a super interesting facet of TMBG fandom. Yeah. Anyway, if you love this show and are interested in helping get the word out on this show, head on over to iTunes. Please leave a rating or review and uh, hit that subscribe button so you get the podcast every Friday directly into your inbox. You can also check us out at youtube.com slash the mixcast where TMZ are rocketing their way through uh, Sonic Mania. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook also at the next cast, if you want to keep up on all our comings and goings, as well as patreon.com slash the next cast. If you haven't heard of Patreon at this point, let me tell you a little bit about it. It is your chance to become a patron of the artists that you know and love. In this case, us. So if you go to patreon.com slash the next cast, you can put in a monthly pledge, and every month you can help support the next cast. Even as little as a dollar a month helps keep the podcast ad free helps us to produce all the different kind of content we create, like all the many things that you mentioned, including things like convention coverage, which is seasonal, but is, uh, hey, guess what? That's not so far away. And it also helps us to make more interesting content, go out, interview people, try to get a more fanish perspective than us doing the research secondhand. It lets us do firsthand research and become real anthropologists mm-hmm. you can check that out patreon.com slash the next cast even as little as a dollar a month helps thank you very much and if you're currently listening to this podcast through your earbuds through your headphones if you've got this playing on the speakers and because we're such idols of youth culture it's killed your dog i'm very very sorry that youth culture killed your dog um but but you know you could have avoided that if you just you just watched us record this thing live. Monday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're on pretty much every Monday. Watch the Twitter for updates as to the few times we won't be streaming. But for the most part, 99.9% of the time, we're like a Lysol up in here. We are recording these things live <laughs> at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at twitch.tv slash the next cast. So if you want to see us recording these podcasts live and, you know, maybe even participating a little bit, you can throw your questions in for famous last words. You can ask us questions during the cast. You can cheer us on. But if you want to do whatever you like with us, while we're recording this podcast, be sure to go to twitch.tv slash the next cast every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Well, it's funny that you mentioned people having the chance to say some words and some famous last words, because that is where we are at. Mm-hmm. Famous last words. It's that time of the show, gents. Oof. Do you all remember what 
next week fandom is tabletop gaming i believe oh uh, yeah you you do remember Ooh, <laughs> well i hope you've got some good don't ask all of us <laughs> no gee have you been watching this show have you <laughs> well gee if you're feeling left out you can always start okay has stranger things given a resurgence to tabletop gaming Ooh. specifically in whatever campaign had the demogorgon in it Ooh. i never heard of such a thing i don't think it existed until <laughs> i mean maybe you'll find out you'll be like oh this is actually some obscure monster from yeah friggin first edition some unearthed arcana monster that even Gary Gygax couldn't beat. The Tarrasque? Death? Or death? All good answers. <laughs> sure. Alright, Z, I'm looking at you mostly because I want time. Stalling for time here. Yeah, dang it! Okay, okay I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw down my question. Okay, alright. Is there, I'm gonna be very specific here. Ooh. Is there, by which I mean not specific at all, is there much, if any, crossover between fans of things like Warhammer, which are more like combat simulators, and things like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, which are more about role-playing. Do people who are into tabletop gaming tend to play one or the other? Or is there a fairly sizable group of people, a group of fans of tabletop gaming who just love tabletop gaming and will play both? I hope that they fight. (laughs) If they do fight, the worst thing is that they won't be able to decide how to fight. Oh, that's true. I think I might have an inkling about <laughs> Z's answer, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to waste all this time thinking about my answer. Uh, what is this question? What is the thing that I'm going to try to come up with? Uh, shoot. <laughs> Man. Should get back into the habit of thinking of the answers before I even do the research um uh, no i can't think of any all i'm thinking of is like what would be the best class to be gandalf and i'm like no that's not a fan question (laughs) how many fan campaigns not helpful (laughs) has anybody oh okay this is better all right here we go okay i was originally thinking you know fanish things are really cool and Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, all those tabletop games are fundamentally about, you know, making characters and making worlds and, and doing that and having fun. And so I was like, has anyone mm-hmm. adapted Dragon Ball as a tabletop game? Mm-hmm. And more specifically, not a big eyes, small mouth campaign. But its own thing. Yeah. So, for example, I know or I think I think I know. There's already like a uh, Full Metal Alchemist and a Ghost in the Shell campaign setting and world that people have already built. What I want to know is, have they done that for Dragon Ball? I'm realizing now that we also haven't done an episode on Dragon Ball somehow. That's my famous last words. All right. That about wraps it all up, I think. Yeah. All that's left is uh, to be sure that you join us next time for our discussion of fans of tabletop gaming see you at the end of tour see you there everybody <laughs> at the end of the tour when the road disappears if there's any more people around when the tour runs aground and if you're still around
so we-